In the previous year, I spoke about two different views of how we study Torah. On the one hand, we recognize that it's an infinite, um, impenetrable body of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's infinite will, and it can't be controlled or captured simply through human comprehension and human faculty, and it remains t- untamed and wild and beyond human reach, Torah Hashem, and we can't hope to fully understand and categorize it and that's why it's referred to by David Hamalach as a Pella, Niflos Secha. On the other hand, we hope to acquire Torah, and we try to digest it and classify it and acquire it as human beings and personalize our Torah, and we try to convert Torah Hashem to Torah Adam, to our own Torah. And Moshe Rabbeinu reminds us, that it isn't something so distant and so difficult that you can't acquire. I want to discuss a similar, perhaps related theme about the curriculum of Torah study. To what extent can Torah study be legislated? On the one hand, a person should learn Torah, as I'll say, a person has to be driven by passion, by interest, by the part of Torah that excites him, that... Um, that enchants him. On the other hand, is that frivolous? We don't study Torah simply because of our own personal interests, our own personal discretion. We're studying Hashem's Ratzon. It may be a more comprehensive and systemized curriculum of Torah study should be superimposed on each individual. After all, this is, as I mentioned in the last year, this is Hashem's Torah that you are pervading, that you are invading, and you have to follow the trail and follow the path of Talmud Torah study. The Rav Zatzal had a very famous statement. He had a diuk in a Rambam. The Rambam strikes a comparison between Birchas HaTorah, the bracha recited before Torah study, which is in fact one of the only two brachos which are deraisa in origin. Most brachos are derabana in origin. Most brachos are rabbinic institutions. The only two brachos that have biblical roots are, of course, benching, brachas hamas, on the bracha after eating, based on the pasuk v'yachalta v'savata uverechta Hashem elokecha. And the other bracha, which is dear Isis, the bracha before learning Torah, based on the pasuk in Parshas Hazino, ki shem Hashem ekra. As I mentioned in an earlier shir, the phrase shem Hashem, literally meaning the name of Hashem, is a metaphor for Torah, because Torah is the approximation of Hashem. It's the access to HaKadosh Baruch So the Pasuk in Hazina reminds us, Ki Shem Hashem Ekra, when we study Torah, the name of Hashem, figuratively, Havu we should offer a bracha. The Rambam seems to strike an analogy between a birchas HaTorah and a birchas HaNenet, even though their roots are different. The bracha before Torah is deraisa, the bracha before eating is only drabanan, the Rambam at least suggests that they're structurally similar. And the Rav Zatzal articulated this similarity, that just as a person can't partake of any object of pleasure of this world without permission, without authorization, without recognizing that it's a Kodesh Baruch Hu's world, and in particular when we eat, we have to recognize that the food we eat or the drink which we digest is really a Kodesh Baruch Hu's property, and we have to acquire license, and the bracha is a form of license acquisition, as the Gemara in Brachos on Daf Lamed Hay says, Asr Adam Lehanos Min Ha'olam Hazeh Bali Bracha, 
you can't get any hana from this world without reciting a bracha. If you do take pleasure from this world without authorizing it through a bracha, it's like you stole kivayacha from a Baruch Similarly, the Rav claims Torah. You can't begin Torah study without legalizing it or acquiring permission, as if you are entering a realm which isn't yours. When you recite a Baruch Torah, you are effectively recognizing that we are entering a Kodesh Baruch Hu's realm. We are acquiring a license for something which isn't naturally ours. So in effect, maybe leisurely Torah study is not something which should be just authorized or allowed. And the, the, the ramifications or the consequences should be you shouldn't be allowed just to study Torah based on choice or preference, but should have to follow a particular trail. So this question, whether there is a predetermined Torah curriculum where each person studies based on their own personal interests, is obviously a, a question which lies right at the seam between practical concerns and existential and theological questions of how we view Talmud Torah. And most of the debate revolves around a very interesting Gemara in Kiddushin. The Gemara in Kiddushin comments on really the only Pasuk in the Torah that commands directly to study Torah. It's an interesting quirk. There is no Pasuk in the Torah which directly commands to a mitzvah to study or you should study day and night. The first parak of Suvin reaffirms the importance of Torah study. But interestingly enough, these psukim, which are so well-known and, and so central, so cardinal to the midst of Torah study, don't appear in the Torah proper. And in a way, the absence of these psukim merely heightens the importance of Talmud Torah. Talmud Torah is the undersurface, the infrastructure of Torah. Without Talmud Torah, the entire process of Torah and mitzvahs collapses. Obviously, you have to be reading Torah in order to be pursuing religion. So for the Torah itself to command Torah study wouldn't just be redundant, it may also diminish the importance of Torah as if we're pigeonholing or narrowing Torah studies. If it's just a mitzvah like any other mitzvah, it really isn't. It's Talmud Torah Kineget Kulam, or the Rambam, which I quoted in one of the earlier shiurim, refers to Talmud Torah as Hayikar Hagadol Shakol Taluibo, the central pillar upon which everything is built. All of religion is dependent and reliant. So the Torah's omitting a direct pasuk commanding Torah study is probably an amplification of the importance of Torah, not a diminishing of its importance. But there is a Pasuk which effectively establishes Torah study as a mitzvah. Pasuk in Kriyashma, the first paragraph of Kriyashma, a well-known Pasuk, Vishinantam Levanecha, should teach your children. So it doesn't really discuss the mitzvah of study, rather the mitzvah of teaching, and it casts Torah study within a delivery of Masara. You can't really understand Torah well unless you're given a Masara, you're taught by a Rebbe. There are very few personalities in the history of Talmud Torah who are autodidactic, who studied on their own. Most people received Torah from a particular Rebbe, a particular yeshiva, went word. It doesn't really appear that often. Torah doesn't write the Maditim or Vareisim. It says Vishinantam Levonecha. Why the word Vishinantam? So there are several drushes which Chazal infer from this strange deployment of the word Vishinantam. 
But one of them is cited by the Gemara Kiddushin. The Gemara Kiddushin and Daf Lamed senses the arithmetic or mathematical intonations of the word Vishinantam. Vishinantam, etymologically, or not real etymology, but the etymology of Drash, which is much more flexible and much more ambitious. The word Vishinantam can be traced to the word Sheni, Shinnun Yud. So the Gemara senses, the number two, that there's something arithmetic or something mathematical about the Torah's interest of how we study Torah. And again, employing the rather flexible license of Drash, the Gemara says, Al-Tikri v'shim nantam ela v'shilashtem. Again, once we sense the arithmetic connotations of this word, so we can stretch it from two to three. And based on arriving at the number three, the Gemara says, Le'olam yishalish adam shenosef. You should always divide your Torah learning into three. Shlish b'mikra, a third of the time you should study Tanakh. Shlish b'mishnah, a third of the time you should study Mishnah. V'shlish b'talmud, and a third of the time you should study Gemara, or Talmud, what we would call Gemara. So the Gemara in Kiddushin, it also appears in Avodah is fairly direct in demanding a three-part division of our Torah study. We should effectively be studying, as the Gemara concludes, whatever time we allocate for Torah study, probably on a daily basis, it seems to be the simple distribution or the most, the easiest allocation. If you study uh, nine hours a day, so you should study three hours of Tanakh, three hours of Mishnah, and three hours of Gemara. Now, this neat package, driven by the strange textual deployment, isn't really followed by most people. I mean, there are some yeshivas that learn more Tanakh and some that learn less. Certainly in the modern context, has been a, a welcome revival of Tanakh study. For hundreds, if not thousands of years, Orthodox Jewry, and for most of the time that's the only jury there was, has uh, retreated from Tanakh study for all sorts of reasons. The primary one was its invasion and hijacking by Christian typological or Christian theological academics who used Tanakh or abused and distorted Tanakh, vandalized it for Christian theology. So Orthodox Judaism felt this was an area. We don't want to contend with Christianity, so we abdicated it. The Tanakh study was a bit neglected, certainly throughout the last millennia. And as big a Talmud Chacham as someone is, if he hasn't studied Tanakh and his Rebbe, he probably won't know Tanakh. And certainly the great Talmud Chachamim were by and large great students of Tanakh also, but it was certainly uh, neglected, parallel or, or proportionate to some of the other areas of Tar. And over the last century or so, with the return to the land of history and a sense of historical mission that many people feel, so there's been a return to the book of history, and the book of Jewish history, and the book of, of course, moral history of Tanakh. So there's been a great revival, and a revival that has pretty much emerged from Eretz Yisrael, and has been felt most powerfully in Eretz Yisrael, and it has begun, of course, to affect other continents of Jewish population. Great interest, great arousal of Tanakh learning. But even the yeshivas that are most ambitious in their Tanakh pursuit and I certainly teach in one of them. Even those yeshivas 
do not allocate a third of their Torah time for Tanakh study. Most, if not all the yeshivos in the world, and not just yeshivos, but people who study Torah, do not adhere to Chazal's directive. So how are we to reconcile the gap between Chazal's suggestion, or if not demand, and our practice in reality? So the truth is there really are three general approaches to solving this, and I think each approach demonstrates, or certainly the last two approaches, very differing attitudes about how we view our right, our ability just to carve out our own curriculum, our own menu of Talmudar. The simplest and perhaps least uh, categorical response, the one which the Ran and Avodah suggests, as well as other Rishonim, that Chazal and Kiddushin are merely evaluating the equal importance of each field. Each field of study is equally important, and you should try to achieve equal measures. However, practically, pragmatically, learning Gemara is just so difficult that we have to invest two to four, you know, triple to four times the amount of time in learning Gemara just to achieve similar results as we would in Tanakh or in Mishnah. So no one is stating or no one is asserting the primary importance of the Gemara or over-evaluating Gemara above Tanakh, but it's just that much more difficult. Intentionally, so I talked about the difficulty of Torah learning in general, and of Torah Shabbat in particular in an earlier shear, and the amount of commitment and investment required to succeed in Gemara learning is just so much more severe, so much more sizable than the amount of investment required to succeed equally in Tanakh. And this is the approach of the Ran. It's the approach of the Ramah, the Beis Yosef in Shulchan Aruch, quotes a Ramah. Ramah talks about an earlier period in which people were more oriented towards Gemara. Perhaps there was less to know about Gemara. Part of the problem we're facing, not really a problem, but the reality we're facing is that to succeed in so-called Gemara learning in the year Tavshin Ayin, you just have to know so much more information than to succeed in Torah learning 3,000 years ago or uh, 2,000 years ago. There's just so many more svarim and so many more ideas that have been tabled. And obviously these ideas were all latent to the system. We don't think any ideas have simply emerged out of nowhere. But the ideas were more self-contained. They were more obvious. They were more subtextual. For us to track down a Gemara and to begin to get a beat on it and to organize it could take hours, if not days, just to try to tackle a few lines of a Gemara. So that's the first approach, and therefore we just have to commit more resources and time to learning Gemara to achieve parallel results. And hence, there is really very little statement about how you shall learn. In fact, it really is an implicit statement that Chazal were imposing a certain curricular regiment upon each and every person, and we are expected to achieve equally in Tanakh, Mishnah, and Gemara, and it would appear as if we have little license to veer from that curriculum or from that set of expectations, just in our day-to-day routine, we have to, so to speak, compensate for our lack of Gemara skills and accommodate the, complex, the complexity of Gemara by dedicating disproportionate time investment to Gemara study. The Rambam had a very, very different um, solution to this Gemara. The Rambam's solution is, that essentially, Chazal and Kiddushin were describing primary development. 
prison has a responsibility to cover all bases, so to speak, during the developmental stages of Torah study. Once, however, a person acquires mastery of Torah, mastery of Mishnah, Torah of Tanakh, mastery of Mishnah, mastery of Gemara, effectively he shouldn't be involved in either of these fields of study, but should be fully committed, in the Rambam's view, to creative analysis, to comparison, to what... In the modern context, we'd refer to as analytics or lambdas, different forms of lambdas. The Raman was a strong proponent of this type of learning as the highest form of study. And therefore, the Raman contextualized the Gemara and Kiddush. It's talking about, as the Rambam wrote, Tchilas Limudo Shel Adam. Tchilas Talmudo Shel Adam. When a person first begins to study. Once he grows in his knowledge, and he doesn't have to study information, be it the information of Scripture, of Torah Shabbat or the information of Mishnah and Gemara, he should spend all of his time pursuing the deeper analysis and deeper comprehension and understanding of Gemara. Now, I think for many, and for most yeshivos, this Ramam has served as a sanction for almost exclusive Gemara investment. The irony of the Rambam is, of course, the Rambam is, this, or the, the irony of this application of the Rambam is the Rambam is assuming full mastery over the information of Mishnah, Gemara, and Tanakh. And only then does he suggest reorienting towards a almost exclusively analytical-based experience with timely or time-to-time periodical reviews of the texts of the information just to maintain or to retain knowledge and mastery over those texts. One could argue that many people today who spend almost exclusive time studying Gemara haven't achieved that mastery, certainly not the mastery of Tanakh, in some cases not even the mastery of Mishnah and Gemara, the counterclaim, of course, being that, well, unfortunately, we, we are so severely limited in the time that we can commit to Torah study that if we never proceed and advance towards a Gemara study, if we follow the step-by-step, stage-by-stage guide which the Rambam demands, then we'll perennially delay our entry into Gemara and we have to just make that leap even if we're not fully prepared. So there really are two schools of thought that emanate from this Rambam. But what's interesting about the Rambam is the Rambam is effectively evaluating Gemara learning as superior to any other form of learning. Once you've achieved the, the, the mastery of information and of knowledge, and he is exhorting a person to try to pursue that type of learning almost exclusively. So the Rambam, on the one hand, is affirming the Gemara and Kiddushin, but not experientially, I would say developmentally. Zala telling us, as it were, make sure that you acquire all the information, but once you've acquired the information, it should be obvious that the analytical draw should be primary. And that's the second answer towards solving this gap between the curriculum described in Kiddushin and the practice, realistically, of pursuing Gemara learning. And the Rambam is, is probably the most uh, glaring and prominent statement serving to um, prioritize Gemara learning. And that's why, as a society, we invest so massively in Gemara learning, not to the exclusion of, of other forms. It's a very interesting Mishnah 
a Mesecha Sofrim. Mesecha Sofrim is one of the Mesechnos, collections of Mishnayos, which never really received the attention of Gemara. So they were called Mesechtos Kitanos. So the Gemara talks about the, the Mishnah in Mesecha Sofrim in Perf Tezvav, strikes up two analogies to compare Gemara learning to Tanakh and Mishnah. So Mikra, the first mushal says, is compared to war. Mishnah is compared to wine. Gemara is compared to, or Talmud will be compared to Kunditin, which is a mixture of wine and honey and sugar. No one can live without water. No one can live without wine, at least in those days. The Eevshar Leolambolo Kunditin. No one can live, as the Gemara suggests, without Kunditin. The Ish Asher Mitkalkel Bishlashtan. The rich person acquires all three. So it's an interesting type of metaphor. There seems to be a hierarchy here, because the sweetest and highest grade of Kunditin is associated with Talmud. And it's not just the sweetest and highest, but it's also. It's a type of drink which contains both wine and water. It's taking the more basic elements and more basic substances and creating a higher grade of drink. But at least the statement of the Mishnah in Sofrim is a non-judgmental statement. There are three, and the world needs all three, and a rich person tries to acquire all three. So there's a latent hierarchy, but not a stated one. But then the second part of the Mishnah develops a very different mashal, and a very, very different um, hierarchy, or a more stated and obvious hierarchy. So the second mushal, the second parable is as follows. In this context, or in this system, mikra is considered salt or compared to salt. Mishnah is pilpilin, a different type of preservative or spice. Talmud is um, a more, um, more favorable spice, a more favorable smell. The world can't exist without salt, without a pepper type of preservant. And a rich person pursues all three. So the same, the same directive is offered. But here the Mishnah concludes. Fortunate is a person who pursues Talmud study. You should never skip Mikra Mishnah to arrive at Talmud. You should study first Mikra and Mishnah, and then ultimately arrive at what is seen here as the highest form of learning, Talmud. So here the end of the Mishnah, Mesech HaSafrin, does seem to echo the Rambam's procedure. At first studying Mikra and Mishnah, but then ultimately recognizing the primacy, the superiority of Talmud study, and, as the Rambam suggests, dedicating massive resources to that pursuit. So the Rambam, based on the Mishnah, the Sechusafrim, provides the second solution. The third solution is a very famous one, and it's offered by the Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam comments on a Gemara in Sanhedrin, which asks, why is Talmud Bavli called Talmud Bavli, which would... Seems to be an obvious question. Of course, it's referred to as Talmud Bavli because it was written or codified in Bavel. The Gemara assumes there's something deeper. After all, its location shouldn't be that significant as to confer its name. So the Gemara Sanhedrin says that the word Bavel means Balula. 
etymologically or phonetically at least, it sounds like Balula, Bavel, Balul, mixed up. And we know that Bavel was the site in which language was discombobulated, was disoriented by Kodesh Baruch Hu in the story of the Migdal Bavel. So the Gemara in Sanhedrin on Daf Chav Dalet claims that Talmud Bavli is a mixture, is a distillation of it all, of Mikra, of Sukkim, of Mishnah, of Mishnayos, and other Mishnaic works, Brysos, Toseftos, etc., and Gemara. And that's why it's called Talmud Bavli, to capture the fact that it is a mixture or a synthesis. Based on this Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Rabbeinu Tam claims, it's cited by Italsus and Kiddushin on Daf Lamed and Italsus and Sanhedrin on Daf Chavdalad, that when we study Gemara, we study Talmud Bavli, we are effectively being Yotze. In fact, he uses the Lashem. We're poter ourselves. We're being Yotze, Chazal's request or Chazal's mitzvah of Kiddushin Lamed to divide our time in three because we're effectively getting it all. We're learning Sukkim, we're learning Mishnah, we're learning Gemara, we're learning it all. So a Yatsuzain, as it were, Chazal's demand, and then we can study whatever we want. And of course, for many, that becomes Talmud, although he doesn't state it. But for many, de facto, it becomes Talmud. It's a very interesting Rabbeinu Tam. Because there are large sections of Talmud Babali which don't contain any Psukim. Large sections which deal almost exclusively with rabbinic mitzvot, which by nature would not be revolving around Psukim. And certainly there are situations in which you can engage and delve into the study of a particular tract, a particular section of Gemara, that ever enc- without encountering a Mishnah or a Brisa for several pages. So what did the Benetam mean? That we're Yotze, our daily dose of Mikra, Mishnah, and Gemara by reading Talmud Bavli, because it contains it all, because it's Balul Mikula. Seems strange which I think is precisely the point. I think Rabbeinu Tam didn't mean, I think, that literally, literally you're going to read a Pasuk, and literally you're going to read a Mishnah, and literally you're going to read a Gemara every day. There'll be days you won't read Sukkim, there'll be days you won't read Gemara, uh, Mishnayos. But then Tam felt that Chazal and Kiddushim were not demanding, were not imposing a Torah curriculum, because I think they can't, they wouldn't. Each person learns whatever they're interested in learning. The same Chalkeinu B'Sarasecha. And Torah would never be restricted or regimented as such. The Gemara in Kiddushin shouldn't be seen as a curriculum or even a developmental curriculum as the Rambam thought. The Gemara in Kiddushin is attitudinal. Each person has to accept the integrity and indivisibility of Torah. And it's all given from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's all inspired divinely. And each person has to commit themselves to the full corpus. It doesn't mean curricularly or practically each person has to study each three because it could be specialty and specialization. I think we're all great uh, beneficiaries of specialization. Um, the Radak, Rabbeinu David Kimchi, Rabbeinu would always quote us the example of the Radak. The Radak was more or less a contemporary of the Baliatosis. Had he excelled, so to speak, solely in Gemara, classic Gemara learning and Talmudic pursuits, so we'd have another Baliatosis, and we'd have his positions on all the issues which Tosis discusses. But instead, he specialized in Tanakh. And he wrote a parish on Tanakh, the Radak, and 
generations and generations of uh, Torah studiers are uh, the beneficiaries of that decision to specialize in a field which wasn't as, or at least historically hasn't been as popular as Gemara. We're all the beneficiaries. But it's not just a social agenda to cover all tracks of Torah, but as I mentioned in the beginning of this year, a person studies Torah not just a, in an automated sense, but there's got to be a passion and a drive, and that passion will differ from person to person. However, attitudinally, you can't divorce yourself or sever yourself from a particular area of Torah. It, has to interest, it all has to interest you, and you have to see it as all HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, and ultimately, in a perfect world in which man wasn't mortal and flawed and limited and weak and lazy, we'd study the total sweep. We'd all be Vilna Gomes, and we'd all be experts in every single area and every single nook and cranny. And that's Chazal's intention, that you should see all three as incumbent. And hence, the Rebbeinu Tam felt that as long as we symbolize that attitude, and for us that symbolism can be achieved by studying Gemara, because Gemara is the depot into which it all flows, the Rebbeinu Tam felt that that symbolism was sufficient to affirm the attitude, then you can pursue whatever type of Torah study you want. Similar to a fourth position, actually there's a fourth position, the position of the Gaonim, which tells us also quotes. And when we read Korbanos, so the end of Korbanos contains a little bit of Tanakh, two prakim from the Torah, a little bit of Mishnah, the fifth parak of Zvachim, Ezeo Mekoman, a little bit of Gemara, the brights of Rabbi Yishmael detailing the 13 exegetical tools of Torah inference and Torah derivation. So we're again, we're Yotze, because we have that little time in the morning where we study a little Mikra, a little Mishnah, a little Gemara, and then we move on to our own personal Torah curriculum. It's the same it's the same idea, it's the same notion. Study what you want, pursue whatever area of Torah you'd like. You have that liberty and you almost you have that mandate because it has to be human, it has to be driven by human desire and human interest. But symbolically you have to accept the total sweep. So for the Gaonim, the symbolism was captured by that three part moment in Karbanos where we try to cover. And indeed for those who have a hard time Reading all of Kurbanus in the morning, that would really be a great way to to read a shortened version of Kurbanus, to read one parak, one of the prakim um, of, of, of Torah, whether it's the Parsha of the Kiyar or the Parsha Satamir, the Parsha Sektaris, to read Ezel Mekoman, or at least part of it, to read some of the Mishnayos, and then to read the Brises of Ishmael just to get a taste of Mikra, Mishnah, and Gemara before the day begins. According to Abenatam, the fact that we learn Gemara, at least captures that same attitude. But I think the Abenatam's statement really tries to humanize the Torah experience, allowing for different interests and different specialties, but still demanding a common acceptance of the total sweep of Talmud Torah.